weekend. Appreciate you hanging around. I know we've got quite a few that are out with the extended weekend. How many of you are taking the day off, have the day off tomorrow? All right, a few of you, that's good. Uh, I do want to say a special thank you to all of our military that makes a day like this possible. The uh, freedoms that we enjoy, freedom is never free. Somebody's paid the price. So we thank you that are in this room, those active and those retired uh, veterans. We thank you and appreciate all that you do for our country. Amen. I know a lot of us have plans today, and so I'm going to be straight to the point this morning. If you'll go to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, no, Pastor Caleb did not shrink. He did not get fit, (laughs) go on a diet. I don't mean that in a bad way, but uh, there are some identifiable differences uh, between Pastor Caleb and his older brother, Josh. The heads are the same. Neck down, everything changes, but the head up, fitting an image of their father, Randy Clay, who many of you guys know as well, and uh, Pastor Caleb and his family are taking some much-needed vacation time, and uh, while he's out, his older brother, Josh and Danny, are great friends of ours, uh, happened to be in town this weekend, and um, Josh and I, we've done youth together for years now, and uh, just thought it'd be a great opportunity to have him fill in for his younger brother. And uh, so let's tell him how much we appreciate him filling up, filling in. Amen. We appreciate that. Hallelujah. And um, we're excited to have them with us in the house this weekend. Mark chapter 4. We've been ministering, and, and, and I'll be honest, guys, I was fighting it this week, trying to get off of the subject that we've kind of been in the last few weeks, trying to you know, see what God wanted to do, change direction, and uh, I feel that this will kind of stay in the vein of what we've been looking at as far as perspective, what are we believing for, what are we seeing, and um, uh, I hope that these last few weeks have been eye-opening at the least for you guys, um, life-changing um, for you, um, and recognizing that our lives are made up of, our lives are a product of what we make it what we determine it to be, and um, it's exciting when we get the opportunity to live a life of faith. Um, life, a life of faith can be difficult at times, it can uh, draw stuff out of us that we didn't even know was there. Uh, how many of you are living a life of faith right now in your marriage, in your finances, in your, in your homes? All right, so... Uh, many of us are there. In fact, we ought to be living by faith because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that uh, we can't even please God without faith. So that means that if we're simply leave, living by what we see, uh, we're not stretching ourselves to determine what God has for us in our future. And uh, so we've been taking a look at this, and, and a lot of it has to do with our perspective. A lot of us pray a lot of times for different scenario, a different situation, that God, you need to change what's going on in my life. And sometimes he says, no, you just need to change the way you're looking at what's going on in your life. Amen. Uh, we know that we can speak to mountains and we can see them be removed, cast into the sea. We, we've got these faith pictures. We call those things to be not as though they were. We look at the, 
to many people in the Bible that lived the life of faith, Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, Jesus himself, the disciples, uh, Paul, uh, living lives of faith, living lives beyond what we currently see. And so we've kind of made this statement the last few weeks, and I want to reiterate it again because I think it's going to come back up in today's message, that we can see what is not there just as much as we can miss what is there. And I'll say that again because uh, I want to make sure that we get a hold of that. We can see by faith what is not there just as much as we can miss what is there. There are things that God has placed right in front of us. Remember, we talked about the Israelites come right up upon the, the promised land, send in 12 spies. How in the world did he come back with the good report and 10 come back with the bad report looking at the same land, having been promised the same promise, their father Abraham, they all claimed that they're, they're, they were seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we weren't talking about two separate tribes. We weren't talking about one that had a promise and one that didn't have a promise. Same land, same promise, two different perspectives. They missed what was right in front of them. They missed what was right in front of them. But on the same token, by faith, we can see things that aren't currently in front of us. You can see yourself inhabiting lands or promises that, that are, have not come to fruition, but God in the past has declared about your future. And so we get in this moment here in the middle called the present, our current situation. It doesn't identify with the promise that reflects upon the future. And so now we're stuck here, and if we're not careful, we'll simply live by what we can see rather than what we want to see. And so that's kind of the, the, the premise of these last few weeks is learning how to change our perspective, learning how to see God's promises fulfilled in our lives, getting from promise to fulfillment, uh, getting from uh, what God has promised us and possessing what God has promised us. Amen. And so look at this here in Mark chapter 4. I want to start with verse 32, and I just want to let you know we're going to kind of be all over this chapter, kind of go back and forth. But in Mark chapter 4, uh, verse, let's start with verse uh, 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? So, so Jesus was always trying to give us a visible picture of an invisible realm. Through parables, uh, through likening, through uh, 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 trying to identify what can we take the invisible realm of the kingdom of God and how can we make that applicable, right? Because it, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter how smart. It doesn't matter how big you can talk it. If it's not applicable, if it's not practical, if it's not something I can put into practice in my life. And so Jesus was constantly pulling on things. The, the kingdom's like a lost coin. The kingdom's like a fishing net. Why? Because he's talking to fishermen. The kingdom's like a field. Why? Because he's talking to farmers. He, he's, he's always trying to identify how can I give them a picture in the natural of what I've come to bring in the spiritual. To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? So Jesus was first off saying, you've got to be able to see it. If you can't see it, you can't have it. If you can't see it, you can't possess it. I can come here and talk all this kingdom stuff and talk all this 
uh, 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 all this, you know, new life that I'm coming to bring you. But if you can't picture it, you won't have it. And so firsthand, we've got to understand as believers in the kingdom of God that we've got to get a picture of what God's trying to show us. You need to get a picture of what God's trying to show you in your finances. You need to get a picture of what God's trying to show you in your marriage. You need to get a picture of what God's trying to show you in your business or your career. You need to get a picture of what God's calling or what God's destiny is for you. Because if we're not careful, we will picture how we've always seen it. The first message that we taught in this series was talking about framing your framework. Because a lot of times, how you frame the picture determines what you actually see. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. God formed or framed the word, the, the world by his word. He determined what he wanted to see with his word. He wasn't limited to what was there. Amen. We're, we're getting into this. We're driving this. But first thing he shows us is what parable shall we picture? You've got to see it if you want to have it. You've got to see it if you want to have it. Uh, verse 31, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. It's interesting how God wants to start out talking about his great, dynamic, this kingdom that's, that cannot be shaken. The Bible tells us this kingdom uh, that is unshakable, this kingdom that is advancing, uh, the violent, the violent take it by force. And he says, oh, by the way, if we want to really see what the kingdom looks like, uh, we're going to compare it to the smallest seed that we could possibly find on the face of this planet. I want to show you what my kingdom looks like, but we're going to start with, he doesn't say a forest. He doesn't say even a big tree. He starts with the seed. Because here's what happens, is God always gives you what you need in the form of a seed. God always gives you what you need in the form of a seed. He wants to know, will you value it in its smallest form? Will you value it in its smallest form? I can come in here and I can bring you the kingdom and I can just demonstrate it and, and, and just show you all the power that it's capable of, but but will you will you catch the mystery of it? There's something about getting in on the ground floor. Amen. There's something about getting in. You know, we, we, we've been here in, in, in this work uh, now for five years. I uh, uh, had the great opportunity of helping launch Anchor Faith Church down in St. Augustine, Florida, 12 years ago. This weekend, this weekend, July 1st, I packed up all my stuff, 2004, just turned 21 years old, drove halfway across the country from Texas to St. Augustine, Florida, uh, and, and I got in on the ground floor. I showed up in my first service on a Sunday morning. There were 17 people in a middle school. I got there about two hours early to help unpack a closet and set things up, and, and, and then we had our little service uh, and, and had our groups of people all scattered. We have more people serving in our stage than we actually had sitting in the seats. That's called black ground floor. It's one thing to invest, uh, you know, in Apple when they're already blowing it up. But who invested in Apple when nobody believed in Apple? When, when, when nobody thought Apple could beat Windows? 
pocket cut when they were tearing up the wood. It, it's something to invest at the root. Something else. And, and that's where you determine real investment. Because anybody can... Anybody can come alongside you when you're making the big bucks and, and all those crazy dreams you had 10 years ago are coming to pass. And people say, man, I want to get on board. I want to see that. But where's all the people that stuck with you when you were at the bottom, when it was the darkest, when it was the bleakest, when, when nothing was producing, when everything was under the ground and they were just hoping you were going to bring a blade through one day and then you were going to start sprouting some branches a little bit and then start giving away a little bit. Where were the people that invested in you then? And so uh, he's, he, he's, he's here talking about uh, the investment that you're going to make in the kingdom is not based upon its expansive picture, but Do people believe in what you're capable of, even when you're not yet producing? Jesus was the absolute picture of this. Jesus was the ab- Jesus did not come as the great king, the great Messiah in the palace that everybody bowed down to and worshipped and had the, 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 the crown on his head. He ended up wearing a crown of thorns. Not so popular. Not so popular. He was born... Uh, in, in, in a stable for animals, not in a palace for princes and kings. What was Jesus? Jesus was the kingdom in true form. You know, there was the group of people that despised him because of his kingdom. He went back home to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, just a couple chapters after this. He goes back home to Nazareth, and they said uh, that they, they, they were perplexed at his wisdom, at his teaching. They had never heard such powerful things before. They had heard and seen the miracles that he was performing, but they said, wait a minute. He's just one of us. I know this guy. That's Judas's brother. That's Joseph's son. That's, that's Mary's son. Didn't he build me a rocking chair one day? Didn't he put together my bed? Uh, didn't he build this table that we're eating dinner on? Who's this guy that thinks he can come in here and tell us how to live? They despised him, rejected him. The Bible says that they eventually became offended at him. And the word tells us the same Jesus that would go into towns and heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases, the same Jesus, nothing was wrong with his power, nothing was wrong with his resources. It was what the people drew. And the Bible says that he was able to do no miracle there except save a few, lay, lay hands on a few. The only time it's recorded in the Word of God was Jesus just having a bad day. Was he, you know, running slow? Was he running dry on the anointing? Uh, you know, was the power waning? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed that day? What was? No, it was the people and their receptivity, their level of investment into Jesus. They despised who he was because of who they knew him to be. And so I wonder today how many seeds. We're disregarding and casting aside because we don't recognize what it can do. Because here's the thing God wants us to know today. The first point I want you to get is if you don't take care of the seed, you won't take care of the harvest. If you don't take care of the seed in its smallest form, 
you won't take pictures. Take a picture. And God truly wants to know how invested you are in his work. How invested are you in his work? Are we casting aside kings that could potentially be the very king? See, we're believing God for a tree. We're believing God for a restored marriage and for a loving spouse. We're believing God for restored finances and, 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 and the prosperity and, and, and more than enough, like the Bible tells us, exceedingly, where's my exceedingly abundantly? And he's giving you seeds. He's handing you seeds. And you're saying, what is this? I'm, I'm looking for a tree. Where's the tree? And he says, if you'll take care of the seed, if you'll take care of that moment uh, when you take care of your wife and your spouse, even when they're not uh, providing the, the love in return, uh, when you'll take care of the finances in the $20 form, then I'll know if you'll really take care of it in the $20,000 form. Uh, will you take care of the business when you're on the bottom uh, and, and nobody really knows who you are? Will you put in all the work? Or are you just going to show up early and stay late when the work demands it? There's a small form and there's a large form, and God's going to give it to you in the small form to determine if you are worth having the large form. Seeds, trees, seeds, trees. And so you're asking for a tree, and he's giving you seeds. And, he, and he's saying, uh, don't you see it? Change the perspective. Change the perspective. You know, we, we miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes I think we miss the trees for the seeds. What is this? I can stick this in my pocket. And we're despising moments daily, every day. We're despising and disregarding moments where we could be planting seeds. There's a difference between sowing seed and, 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 and just throwing seed. Isn't that even wrong? Can I use your tweets? That's tweetable. You can sow seed or you can throw seed. But that's up to you. What you do with the seeds is up to you. And God's handing you seed moments every day. Seed moments every day. And this is the kingdom of God. The people at Nazareth had a seed moment. I'm sure they, they had some sick. The Bible tells us that they had some people that were sick. But how were they going to treat the seed? But see, there were others that took the seed of Jesus. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Judas. There were people that took the seed and said, we'll invest. We'll get on board with that. Before he was famous, before he was well known, before they knew what he was even capable. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not walk around town with a sign on him that said, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. I have never sinned, and you should come follow me. What did that look like? He's simply a man that called upon people and said, come, lay down your life and follow me. He's asking for investment. He's asking for how will you treat the seed. And they got the tree because of how they treated it. There were others that didn't. There was a rich young ruler that was given a seed moment. And he passed it up. He passed up the seed. He threw the seed rather than sowed the seed. And he did not get to participate in the kingdom. That he was looking for. Good sir, how can I enter the kingdom of God? How can I see this kingdom? Go sow all that you have to the poor. And he walked away sad. 
because he missed the moment. It says it's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds. But watch this, verse 32. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all others and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So God today is asking in this passage, how will you treat the seed? You're believing for a seed. You're looking for a tree. You're looking, the tree ultimately is an end result. It's the product of what you do with the seed. And we're always looking for the product, and God will give you the starting point. God will give you the starting moment. God will give you those seed moments. You want a tree in your marriage, but he's giving you little seeds today. You want a tree in your finances, but he's giving you little seeds. How you treat this seed determines how you will treat the tree. And so we've got to recognize this. Uh, What you do with the seed determines what the seed will do for you. What you do with the seed determines what the seed will do for you. We got to be some seed handlers today. We got to be some seed handlers. We've got to take some seeds. And, And look, here's the thing. The seed, it is what it is. It's a seed. It is what it is. You know, I was listening, uh, I heard a comedian say this one time. He says, you never hear anybody ever say the statement, it is what it is, about anything positive. We always relate that to something negative. He said, you know, you don't ever hear someone say, hey, you just won the lottery, man, $25 million. It is what it is. No, you don't ever hear that. We usually, uh, you know, translate that to something that's negative or something that's limitations. It is what it is. You know, there's no money in the account. It is what it is. My wife isn't responding to me in love today. It is what it is. Right? We always tie it to a negative thing. But here's the thing is if we are always distracted by what it is, we will never see what it can become. Because that seed can become something else. I remember I was with Van Murphy just earlier this year during a blessing of the harvest. And we brought out packs of the seeds. We're talking about harvest. We're talking about end result. We're talking about what we want to see come out of the ground. And he's bringing seeds. And we're laying hands on seeds. Why? Because he knows the potential in the seed. He knows the potential that the seed will become the crop. And the crop will yield the harvest. And then the harvest will now return more seed. And, the, and that, that seed now goes back into the ground. And so we've got to understand that we're always going to deal with this cycle of seed and how you treat the seed. Your expectation of the seed is what you will see the seed produce. Now, he gives this passage on the tail end of what is known as the parable of the sower. Jesus opens up Mark chapter 4 with the parable of the sower. He says, the sower goes out to sow. And uh, some seed lands on the wayside. And the birds come by and they pick it up. 
we've got some more that lands on like some stony ground and you know it's not really able to take root and so uh you know it, it, it ends up not producing it's unfruitful then we've got some seed that lands among the thorns and it starts to come up a little bit and then it gets choked out and becomes unfruitful but then we have some seed that lands on good soil i hope that i've got some good soil in here today lands on good soil and it produces 30 60 and 100 fold and his disciples come to him and they say hey why don't you give us an explanation on that why don't you give us give us a little more detail man what what you talking about here and he turns to them in verse 11 he says this mark chapter 4 verse 11 he said to them to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery. What's he trying to hide something from us? Is he trying to uh, 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 keep something away from us? I mean, a mystery means you've got to go looking for it. And the mystery isn't designed to hide it from you. The mystery is designed to determine how badly you want it. Because your search reveals the value for what you're looking for. Your search reveals value for what you're looking for. You know as well as I do, if you don't care about something that you lost, you quit looking for it. And on the flip side, you know, Camden has lost all kinds of stuff in his life. In fact, we just did a good little thing and I I, uh, uncovered revealed, discovered some of his hidden treasures around the house. And every single one that I find, he pops up, man, I was looking, oh, there it is, man, I'm, this is my favorite. No, it wasn't, it's been gone for six months and he didn't even know it was in there. Talk to me about it, favorite. Favorite changes every minute. It's whatever the last thing you've got. That's not your favorite because you wouldn't have let me sit down until we found that toy or until we found that stuffed animal or until we found that whatever it is. Your value is determined by your search. You won't quit looking for it. I gotta have it. See, we, we don't, God doesn't just leave stuff sitting on the surface. He doesn't leave his kingdom just sitting on the surface where everybody can just, he he makes a statement. You don't cast pearls before swine. Why? Because they'll trample it. They won't value it. They don't care for it. Don't care about it. And the, the object loses its worth. Not just the person that finds it. The kingdom's valuable. So it's a mystery. Just the fact that his disciples came to him and said, hey, we got to know that he's talking to the multitudes. Read verse one. He's in a boat and the multitude standing on the bank of the shore. Listening to him talk. But only his disciples come to him and say, uh, you got to go a little deeper, man. That, that's, there's something more to this. And I got to know what you're talking about. Why? Because they needed to know. They had a deeper level of investment. The multitudes didn't didn't pack everything up and leave their families and homes and and jobs and careers and and, and, and friends and families behind. But these 12 men did. So these 12 men said, man, if I put this much here, you got to give me a little more than that. You're going to have to share a little more about this kingdom stuff. 
You're going to have to give us what you're talking about. Now watch this. Watch his watch his response here in uh, verse verse twelve. So that seeing they may see. He's explaining why am I teaching in parables? Why am I explaining the kingdom of God to you in parables? So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. And this is where perspective comes in. Because just because you see doesn't mean you understand. Just because you hear doesn't mean you fully comprehend. There's got to be more. Seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Now, is is God wanting them not to understand? Is he wanting them to not perceive? Of course not. But he's wanting to determine who really wants to know, who really wants to grab a hold of what I'm bringing to this, to, to this people, who's really willing to repent and change their sin. Because that's what he came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is within you, is, is in your midst. That, that, that if you're going to receive what I'm bringing, you're going to have to change your thinking. You're going to have to learn to see differently. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. And so he, he's helping us recognize seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand. Now let me tell you where the devil works. The devil works in distraction, in distraction, distraction. The way the devil defeats you is by distracting you. Today, we, we have a, a more distracted culture than ever before. I mean, our attention spans today, just in general, is unbelievable. And our culture builds us this way. The things that distract us, the, 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 the serious matters that are at hand that are going to the wayside because of the silly stuff in the world. The, the garbage stuff that's in the world. And it's designed that way. You can't fight the right battle if you're distracted. Distraction hinders progress. We're talking about progressing. We're talking about possessing the promise of God. So God's given you a promise. God's spoken a word. God's declared a word over your marriage, over your finances, over your job, over your family. Whatever it is you're standing for, whatever it is you're believing for. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to distract you from what God has already said. He's going around picking up steam. So that you'll hear and not understand. So that you'll see but you'll not perceive. Every Sunday, there, there, are, there are nuggets that go out. Every Sunday, there is seed that's being sown. But just because I'm sowing seed doesn't mean you get it. Just because I'm preaching a good word doesn't mean you grab a hold of it. Out of four opportunities for the seed to fall and become fruitful, only one produced 25% fruit. 75% is unfruitful. 
I looked up uh, synonyms for the word hinder just because I want to drive this point home of what distraction does in our life because there's too many of us that have become distracted from the promise of God. Whether it be trials, whether it be troubles, we'll take a look at it. We're going to go line upon line with the first three types of soil. We'll identify what this distraction looks like. But distraction hinders progress. Distraction impedes progress. Frustrates progress. As a result of becoming distracted, it interrupts, holds back, interferes. This is distraction. We're trying to advance. We're trying to progress. We're trying to see the promise of God fulfilled in our lives. We've got the word it's been sown, and now distraction sets in. It disrupts and prohibits. Just a few synonyms that help you understand why some of us have slowed in our progress towards what God has got for us. God hasn't slowed down. Well, you know, it's just in his timing I received my healing. No, it's in your ability to grab a hold of God's word, see it with clarity, perceive it and understand it, and then put it into action in your life. The healing power of God is there. What impeded, what interfered, what disrupted the people at Nazareth? Was it Jesus? No. It was their distraction because they disvalued him. And they devalued the truth. Because naturally we see a truth. But God wants you to spiritually see the truth. It's going to manifest in your life. And it's going to produce the fruit of what you're believing for. Amen. This word distraction simply means this. This is going to come back again later. This word distraction simply means to divide the attention. The word distraction literally means to divide the attention. To divide the attention. My message title today is Undivided. Have you ever told somebody, I need your undivided attention? I don't need your divided attention. I don't need half of your attention. I don't need three, three quarters of your attention. I need your undivided, full attention. Pay attention. Actually, that's actually the sign. Pay attention. Why? Because we got to put up some blinders sometimes. Why? Because the devil wants to bring in things to distract you and impede you, and interfere, and prohibit, and disrupt the plan of God in your life, and you've got to learn to take the seed, and I'm not going to be distracted by what I see, I'm not moved by what I see, I'm not moved by what I hear, I'm not moved by how I feel, this is just temporary, because the Spirit of God is in this thing, and I'm going to see the spiritual result with the natural evidence. And so we see the three different types of soil that the devil is distracting us, distracting us, distracting us. Verse 15 tells us that Satan comes. Now he's explaining the parable to his disciples. Verse 15 simply tells us that Satan comes to take away immediately the word that was sown. Those are the ones that are here in the room. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but, but lunch is on your mind. Or maybe your 4th of July plans 
uh, tonight or tomorrow is on your mind, or, or, or what, what, what am I going to do when I get out of here is on my mind, or, or maybe the trouble that you've endured all week long just to get to this point is on your mind, but we've got to learn to set our mind on things above, not on things below. This is a place that when you come in here, you need to prepare your heart and prepare your mind to receive. That's a prayer that I pray every Sunday back there in that hallway. And a lot of times when I get up here on this stage, Father, I thank you that our hearts are prepared to receive. They're teachable. They're moldable. They're receptive. Because what a shame that we drove all the way up here and, and, and got ready and endured all the heartache with the kids in the back seat and swatting and slapping and, and you know, shoving clothes on kids just to get them out so we can get there by 1030. And then we don't even receive because we're not in a receptive mode. And Satan comes immediately, the Bible says, to steal, to take away, to sabotage, to sabotage. That's a distraction. A distraction is a lack of lack of attention. And when we don't give proper attention, what we have will be taken away. Am I sowing seed this morning that's just going to be robbed by the enemy? Am I casting seed this morning to you that the, that the devil is just going to come and pick up and steal? And by the time you get in the car, we can't comprehend or receive anything? I hope not. Satan cannot steal what you give attention to. Satan cannot steal. I'll be honest. There's a reason why Jesus said that the kingdom can be likened to a mustard seed. Because we can easily be distracted from the mustard seed. But at the same time, if you give the mustard seed the proper care and attention, it will reap those same results for you that it will for you, that it will for you. The, 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 the seed is not a receptive place. The seed is designed to respond to the level of attention you give it. The seed is designed to respond to the level of attention you give it. Verse 17. We get to the second case. The word that is seen and sown, uh, the, the seed that is sown on stony and the solution here, the, the issue that's been taking place, is there was no root. No root. No root. Uh, the verse particularly reads in verse uh, 17, they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they Notice that this verse does not tell us that it was the trouble and the tribulation and the test that caused the seed to become unfruitful. The test cannot take you out. In fact, the test and the trial was designed for one thing, to advance you. Oh, I know that's different. I know that we have seen tests and trials as a negative and, and, and 
God removes this test. And God isn't trying to, God doesn't want to get you out of the test. He wants to get you through the test. Because the test proved that you had what was necessary. We, we failed the test because we failed to prepare for the test. There was not one test that I failed in high school. There were plenty of them. But there was not one time that I could go to my teacher and say, you know, if you wouldn't have given me that test, I had it. If you, you would have just left it alone, just taught the class, let me do the assignment, and then not actually tested me or quizzed me on it, I'd have been fine. But since you tested me, I forgot everything you taught me. Couldn't use that excuse, could I? I tell you, the ones that are confident taking tests are the ones that know they're prepared properly. We were talking about this a little bit last night, the pressures and the trials and the tests of life. They don't, they, they don't develop your character. They don't put the seeds in. Tests and pressures simply reduce our character. The pressures of life that are coming, and they're squeezing you, and you feel like you can't take it anymore, but the test is simply helping you discover what's been planted that you never saw was even there. And if we don't pass the test, because we fail to prepare for the test. The test is not to blame. We are. We are. Why? There's no root. There's no root. Put verse 17 back up there again. There's no root. So therefore, we endure only for a time. But God's word says that those who endure to the end shall be saved. We need some endurance. We need to be able to pass some tests. We need to, to be able uh, to, to be prepared so that we can endure the pressures of life. The third one that we see here in verse 19. The third one we see here uh, is verse in verse 19. And the cares of this world. This is the one that was sown among thorny bushes, thorny ground. And it starts to come up a little bit. We receive it with joy. Those are the ones that, man, we're worshiping. We're thanking God. We're shouting hallelujah. But then we get out there, and look what it says. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes, once again, unfruitful. Three out of three so far we are completely unsuccessful in bearing fruit. And this word cares, this word cares is the same word that shows up over uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. Cast your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And I looked up the word cares. I'm not going to give you the Greek definition of it, the, the Greek word for it, but I will give you the definition. It simply means this. Distraction, <laughs> anxiety, and worry. That's literally what cares means. Distraction, anxiety, and worry. The cares of this world. The cares of your situation. Now we're not just talking about tests and trials any longer, but we're talking about the things that make, make us anxious. Maybe the things that are going 
world today that we're seeing, the, the, the end times taking place, are they taking up space in your mind that the word should be occupying? Are they using up space in your mind that the word only should be occupying? Now, that word parents can also be translated over. We see it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for some things, a few things. Be anxious for nothing. That word anxious is the same word as parents. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If we shoot down a couple of verses later, I don't have it in there, but in verse 8, he says this, and think on these things, what is true, what is noble, what is pure. What's he trying to say? You've got to get your mind occupied with something else. Uh, Jesus even uh, talked about this over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, he repeats this statement, but in verse 25, uh, we see this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. That, that word worry is the same word as anxious and the same word as uh, uh, cares. And this word worry, if you define it, follow me here. This word worry means this, to divide into parts. divided attention. And this is the result of our perspective. Your perspective takes place. Focus takes place. We said this uh, either last week or a couple weeks ago. What you obtain by faith, you maintain by works. The Israelites, going back to the promised land, are a product of a people that became distracted, that became divided in their minds. And look, guys, we all have opportunities. We all have situations. We all have tests, pressures, trials that want to divide your mind from God. And you will lose the battle when we become distracted, when we allow ourselves, our, when we allow our become divided, when we allow ourselves to become separated, to no longer remain focused, but that's why he says in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above, and we've looked at this before, that word set means fixed, immovable, unshakable, that when I get, has any of you ever set your mind to something? I mean, isn't that what we're taught? If you just set your mind to it, you can do it, Right? If you set your mind on it, you can accomplish anything. And God's wanting to tell us the same thing today. God's wanting to encourage us with the same thing today. That if we will set our minds, guys, if y'all come up, if we will set our minds, fix our minds, get in a position that's not movable, that is that remains unshaken, that we will recognize the power of God operating in our situation. Our life is a result of what we set our mind on. Our life is a result. The, the, 
the, the, the, the passing of tests, the enduring in life is a result of how well you can study the word. Today I want us to recognize what has your mind become shaken with? What has your mindset become distracted? What have you allowed to occupy space in your mind that shouldn't have? That shouldn't have. It starts small. It starts as a seed. Are we disregarding seed moments in our lives? Because all we see is a seed. You promised me. You promised me that this marriage would work. You promised me that we wouldn't deal with this again. You promised me that that our finances uh, would, would 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 grow and prosper. You promised me that we wouldn't have to rely on on this. You promised me that this business would prosper. Would prosper. But then we start leasing out space in our mind for the enemy to operate. Starts plucking up seed. He starts picking up seed that's been sown. Good seed. Good seed. The seed doesn't determine the result. The soil does. So today I want us to prepare our hearts to be good soil. Good soil. In what ways? Father, we thank you this morning.